0: Tony Reinke, in his book, Competing Spectacles, wrote this book to to seek to answer a particular question. And the question that was burning on his heart to address in this work was, what does it mean for Christians to live with eternal purpose inside a digital age filled with viral videos, live sporting events, video gaming, on-demand television streaming, Virtual reality dreamscapes, loudmouth political pundits, brash political tweets, the latest blockbuster movies and YouTube videos, all of those things. Enough eye candy, he writes, to consume every waking moment of a lifespan. How do we live with eternal purpose with all of those things in mind? And indeed, that's a question that we have to wrestle with, that we must wrestle with as disciples of Jesus Christ. So many mediums, so many messages, so many messengers, all vying for our attention, all clamoring for us to not only listen to them, but to to lend them our eyeballs, to give all of our attention to them. It's incredibly exhausting, isn't it? It's overwhelming. We can't keep up. It's like sensory uh, overload. It's like going, have you ever gone to a market? Those of you who've traveled to foreign countries, you ever go to an outdoor market? It's crazy. Like we go to our malls here, right? And it's just nice stores and there's nobody out there. There's people walking but going inside. so. There you walk through the market. And all the vendors are out there in the street with their little tables or their little kiosks and booths. And they are all screaming at you as you walk by. Every one of them is trying to pull you in to their little area to try to sell you something. To try to show you something. To, to make a deal with you so that you'd walk out of there with whatever it is you're selling. It is insanity. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's crazy. Well... Our passage today is going to be relevant, you know, with that particular illustration in mind. The first nine chapters that are the first part of Proverbs that we started looking at a couple of weeks ago contains lessons. They contain lectures written in the style of a father writing to their son to teach them and to instruct them in the ways of wisdom and the ways of life. Their encouragement for the son to remain on the right path. Remain in the way of wisdom. Keep following the teachings of God, the fear of the Lord, and don't veer off off the right path. Because there's going to be a lot of things along the way to try to cause you to deviate from the right path onto the wrong path. And last week, we looked at that particular instruction from the father uh, to the son, that the son would not be enticed by the voice of sinners clamoring for the son to... Come after them to cast their lot in with them, for the son to cast their lot in with them, and to go off into a life of sin and wickedness and violence and theft and unjust gain and and all of those things—the easy way of life apart from the knowledge of God. And if he listened to their voice, that path that he would go on would end up leading him to destruction. So the father pleads with him, "Don't listen to the voice." Sinners don't listen to those voices out there clamoring for you to follow in the way of sin and folly Now as part of the teaching plan the father is going to instruct the son about two paths that are available to him It's the path of life There's the path that leads to death And he's going to present to the son two women that he will encounter Along the way These two women will each beckon the son to listen to their voice And to follow them. But each of those women leads to a very different destination. Their paths lead either to life or to death. Today we are going to be introduced to the first woman that the father is going to begin to teach the son. And it's not going to come by way of a lecture from the father to the son. But a piece of poetry. An interlude about wisdom's call. All right? And so we're going to be in the first chapter, the last portion of the first chapter of Proverbs. So let's turn there, Proverbs chapter 1, 20 to 33. Hear the words of the living God. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets. She cries out the entrance of the city gates. She speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge if you turn at my reproof behold i will pour out my spirit to you i will make my words known to you because you have called because i have called and you refuse to listen have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof i also will laugh at your calamity I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way, and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, and will be at ease without dread of disaster. These are the words of the Lord. Now, the first thing I want to begin to look at here is the sermon, the message That wisdom is calling out and proclaiming here. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the markets, she raises her voice. If you notice here, wisdom is portrayed as a woman. I'm going to call her Lady Wisdom. But why does the father, by means of this particular poetry, want to portray wisdom as a woman? I'm going to give you three quick reasons Why that most likely is. The first is that what's happening here is the employment of a literary device. Personification of wisdom, this abstract idea of wisdom, this concept of wisdom uh, is given, is attributed uh, with human qualities or characteristics. And the reason for doing this is to highlight some important detail about this particular abstract idea that is not human, in order to teach us something. So it's a teaching tool to personify wisdom, to to give it some human characteristics. For instance, here, wisdom's call, which we're going to look at in a moment, right? Just as a person is appealing to someone else, this is the very thing that wisdom, the Lord's wisdom, is outdoing in the world. Secondly, the Hebrew noun here for wisdom is feminine. Now, in English, right, we don't typically attribute uh, grammatical gender to nouns, but the romance languages do. And so this is kind of, this is how Hebrew is itself, right? So the Hebrew noun for wisdom is feminine. So to personify wisdom, it would be natural for it to take on feminine characteristics. This is poetry. Don't get hung up on this whole concept of the woman here and what does that mean? It's not saying that God is a woman. It's not saying that Jesus is a woman. Right. Uh, don't press what's happening here too far, because thirdly, here I want us to see that one of the reasons that Solomon wrote this for his son and employed this kind of use of poetry here was that he's trying to get his son's attention. Solomon knows that teaching a young male would be more effective if he could employ a particular tactic here to get his attention. He knows his son is going to be attracted to beautiful women. So here's an idea. Let's portray wisdom as a woman. A beautiful woman. A smart woman. The kind of woman that Solomon would want his son to marry. Right? So it's making the lesson a lot more enjoyable. Right? Hey son, learning wisdom is as exciting and thrilling and scintillating and, and satisfying as pursuing and marrying a beautiful and charming and smart woman. That would have made my learning in grade school a lot easier, right guys? Imagine biology or any of the sciences or English or any, and they talked about it, about meeting a woman and giving it the characteristics of a beautiful woman. That would, that would pique our attention, right? This is what Solomon's doing here. He's trying to, he's trying to teach him, and this is a great way to do it. Now, this aspect of lady wisdom stands for the wisdom that Solomon is trying to teach and pass on to his son, But in chapter 8 and 9 here of Proverbs, we're going to see that it doesn't just stand just for Solomon's teaching of wisdom, but that, that, that she also represents God's wisdom. She's God's wisdom. And we know that God's wisdom, we've been talking about this for the last two weeks, is not a thing. It's not an abstract idea or a concept. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is Jesus Christ. Now let's look at wisdom's call. Notice where Lady Wisdom is proclaiming her message. She's in the street. She's in the markets. She's at the intersection of noisy streets. And she's at the city gates. What do these things represent? Well, they're different places, different destinations uh, of a particular city. They actually stand for all of the places of a particular city. Places of commerce. Places where maybe... Uh, judgment is transacted like at the city gates and marketplaces and, and and residential areas. All of those particular things, she is taking her message to where the people are. She's not going to a, a barren neighborhood where there's only a handful of people. Wherever the crowd is gathered, that's where wisdom is. That's where wisdom's calling. That's the implication here. She goes to the city gates where the elders are sitting and making rulings and and judgments right? Uh, she's in noisy intersections in the marketplaces and the public squares, right? That could be like in our day-to-day malls and concert places and courthouses and things of that nature. City sensors, dense, densely populated areas. And she is extending her invitation to everyone. In fact, you'll see that later on in Proverbs chapter 8 and 9. She's extending her invitation to everyone, everywhere, for them to listen to her voice and to begin a relationship with her. She's calling out to people of every socioeconomic class. Notice she does not discriminate. She's not merely going to the poor or to the elite of society or just to the the commoners, the everyday man. No, she's going to everyone. There is no discrimination. And she's portrayed here like a fiery street preacher. Proclaiming a bold, a bold message, right? It's, it's evangelistic in nature. Listen to me, she shouts. Listen to me and live, she cries out to everyone, everywhere. Her pulpit is set up at the center of the city. Like a preacher preaching with a loud megaphone and a clear voice that rises above the, the noise, the traffic, right? The hustle and bustle of daily life. She's clear. She's loud. She's not shy. She's not begging for people to listen to her. She's commanding. She's like the prophets of the Old Testament who appear in public to boldly address everyone from the king to the commoners and calling them to repent and to turn to the Lord. She's crying aloud. Why is she doing that? Well, to cut through all of the noise of the competing voices. Now, you can imagine in ancient life what that might have looked like, but I don't know that Solomon could ever foresee what we experience today. The craziness, 24-7, right? We have messages, voices vying for our attention, clamoring for us to listen. So here, she's crying out to everyone everywhere, and she's her voice rises above those things so that people can hear her. But what that means is you actually have to ignore her and not listen to her because she is loud enough for you to be able to do so. You have to actively suppress the cry, the call, the voice of wisdom. Some of you, like when you were little kids, right, maybe your, your parent was saying to you or a kid, another kid, or your brother and sister were saying something to you and you didn't want to listen to them, what did you do? La, 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 I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Some of you do that today. And as an adult, I want to counsel you later. But, right, that's what we did. We want to actively not listen to what someone's trying to say to us by plugging our ears. That's what you'd have to do to ignore wisdom. You have to suppress her voice. The point here is that wisdom's crying out, and you ignore her to your peril. That means you don't have an excuse. You can't say that you've never heard wisdom call. In fact, Paul, writing to the believers in Rome, says the same thing as we are reading here about what Lady Wisdom is doing. Turn to the first chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 1. You got your Bible. Could you go ahead and turn there? Sometime we've got to get back to the ruffling of pages, right? But Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. I want you to see very clearly here that Paul is parroting the same thing that wisdom is saying here regarding to what people are doing in repressing, suppressing the voice of wisdom here. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What's Paul saying here? Paul is saying that all of God's creation is crying out, attesting to the Creator. That the Creator is calling out from every corner of creation, of His creation, the reality that He exists and telling us something about His nature and His attributes. God is making that particular call call clear to everyone, to all of humanity, to all of creation. So no one can say that they have not heard. No one can say that, I, I didn't know God... Existed? I didn't know God was out there trying to reveal himself to me in one way or another. God makes it plain. God makes it plain. But the unrighteous, in the face of the full knowledge of God, revealed from heaven, suppress the truth. Now what does that mean, to suppress the truth? Well, the word means to physically hold something down. To hold it down. and that, So that suppression is not something passive. That suppression doesn 't come by lack of information i, I didn 't have enough information or or anyone can, who could claim ignorance. you ever try to take a large ball and, and and try to push it underwater maybe in the pool what happens right If you let it go, it pops up that 's principle of, of, of buoyancy here but and and the density of the water compared to the density of the air in the ball. But what do you have to do? You have to physically push that thing down and keep it down, but the water is trying to pressure it to come up. Well, this is what's happening here. The truth is evident. The truth has been made manifest. God has revealed himself, but unrighteous men want to suppress that truth, hold it down, keep it down, keep it from coming forth, because they want to live their own way. They, they want to be their own God. They want to live autonomously. They want to live apart from the knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord. So they have to actively suppress that and keep it down. And God says, guess what? You still don't have an excuse. You'll have no excuse. you without excuse. So what's the message that wisdom is bringing forth? Verse 22. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? That's the content of the message here. The appeal. And she's aiming it at three particular classes of people. One that she's going to speak to and address directly. And the other two, she's lumping that first one into those other two categories. She's making this appeal to the simple and then also to scoffers and fools. And we we briefly kind of defined some of those in week one. But wisdom appeals here directly to the simple. The simple are those who are naive, those who are uh, gullible, who are unlearned. These are the inexperienced youth, right? Young people, you know, uh, teenagers, you know, young adolescents, right? They, they, they're still trying to learn things about life and the way of life and the way the world works here. So her appeal is to those, to them, to the immature. And her appeal is for them to stop ignoring her. And the fact that she says, how long, implies that they've been ignoring her for some time. They have, uh, they have not embraced wisdom's teaching, even though by now, at this point, they, they should have done so. How long will you love being simple? Listen to what she's asking there. They continue to de- desire to remain uncommitted to wisdom, to the way of wisdom, to the fear of the Lord. And as a result, they've opened themselves, right, to the allure and the enticement of sin and of sinners, And folly. And if they continue in this path. And they continue to ignore wisdom. It's going to put them on the path of danger. Now the scoffers and the fools. She's not addressing directly. But she is talking about them here. The scoffers uh, are are the cynical. They are the, the mockers. Criticizing everything and everyone. Craving their scoffing ways. Look at that. They love their scoffing. They enjoy, they delight in mocking. And fools, fools fools are the worst, right? Fools, there's really no hope for the fool because they don't have the fear of the Lord. They've not chosen the fear of the Lord. They hate wisdom. They hate instruction. They hate knowledge. They actively reject God and suppress the truth. So wisdom is is calling out to them, how long will you simple ones love being simple? And then she says, if you turn... At my reproof. Wisdom's message here, her sermon that she's trying to preach to them, is repentance. It's repentance. Turn away. Turn away from being gullible. Turn away from being simple and immature. Leave your simple ways and turn to me. There is still hope for the simple. There's still hope for the gullible, right? If they turn away, if they repent, if they respond, turning away from their uh, sin and turning away from their their gullibility and turn to wisdom, there's hope, and it puts them on the path of life. It's what repentance is. It's turning away from something and turning to something. The simple youth must turn back and listen to her rebuke, listen to her instruction, listen to her correction. And when the gospel call goes out, the message is what? It's the same, isn't it? Repent, turn away, and believe. Turn to Christ. That's the good news. Look at Acts chapter 2. I want you to see there in the story of Pentecost... On the day that the Spirit of the Lord was poured out upon the people of God as they were praying, as they were seeking the Lord, right? There's just a phenomenal thing that happens there. They come, the Spirit of God comes upon the believers. It made a loud commotion. And because there was uh, this was the time of the feast, there was a lot of devout people from all over different places, different uh, uh, portions of the region that were there in jerusalem they heard the commotion and now a crowd begins to gather outside of the home where this event took place where the disciples were praying and seeking god and the spirit was poured out upon them in fact acts chapter 2 tells us there was a multitude that began to assemble there everyone had heard and it says that they were astonished at what they were seeing and what they were hearing And the devout men that were there to worship God and offer sacrifices to God and be there for part of the feast were amazed as they were hearing, the scripture tells us, the mighty works of God proclaimed in their own language. But it also says that there were mockers there scoffing and making fun of the disciples. Now, in the midst of all of that commotion, right, and all of that noise, Peter stands up, lifts up his voice to address them. Look how it says in Acts chapter 2.14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice. Raised his voice. Addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you. And give what? Ear to my words. What is he doing? He's doing the same thing that Lady Wisdom is doing. Right? She is standing up in the busiest of places and is shouting for them to listen. Peter's saying, hey, listen up. I have something important to say. You need to hear me. It he was bold. It wasn't wimpy. He wasn't begging, right? He was proclaiming with boldness there. So what does he do? He proclaims the gospel to them. What does he call them to? He calls them to the same thing that Lady Wisdom calls simple too. Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, repent, repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see that? Turn from sin, turn from your ways, your evil and wicked ways, and rebellion, and turn to Christ. That's what Lady Wisdom does, and that's The wisdom, who is Christ does as well. Repent and believe. Repentance is always the proper response to Jesus' message. Repent. That's her message. Now look at her promise in verse 23. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. If you turn, if you repent... That turning back there would would be the action that implies that genuine repentance has taken place. Genuine repentance would mean acknowledging that wisdom is right. And that they had been wrong. uh, The simple had been wrong in loving their gullibility and immaturity. If they turn to Lady Wisdom. If they embrace wisdom's teaching. They're promised two things here. Wisdom says she would pour out her spirit upon them. And they will know the words of wisdom they know the words of wisdom. All right, so to turn to wisdom means you're open to wisdom's teaching, wisdom's correction, wisdom's instruction. You'll gain knowledge and understanding, and you'll be able to follow wisdom's way. If the simple turn from their foolish ways, they'll be given knowledge that will lead to life and not death. Now, what is the spirit in view here? Is she talking about the Holy Spirit? Well, no, the spirit here is in... Lowercase s, right? Some translations say, I'll pour out my heart to you in wisdom. That Hebrew word for spirit, meaning breath or wind. Okay, But we know a few things here. That, again, wisdom is not a person. What we see here in shadow form here, we know the substance and fulfillment of it is in Jesus Christ, right? In the in the perfect re- revelation of Jesus Christ, the mystery of God hidden before in ages past, but has now been disclosed, has now been revealed. So we know he is the wisdom in view here. Uh, so Jesus is the wisdom of God. First 1 Corinthians one twenty four. And when we turn to him and believe, he becomes to us wisdom from God. First 1 Corinthians one thirty. Christ in Him, the Scripture tells us, are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So how do we get Christ and His wisdom? How do we do that? The aspect here is that of repentance, right? And turning away. Well, well, the promise there is that the Spirit would be poured out upon them. They would know instruction and wisdom. Well, you see the promise of this in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27 here. God is promising His people... How they are going to be able to one day obey him. And follow his law. Because here is what God is going to do. 26 and 27 of Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. New heart. New spirit. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. What is God doing here? He's promising that there's going to come a time. Where he's going to give them a new heart. He's going to give them a new mind. He's going to pour out his spirit upon them. And they would be able to obey him. They'd be able to know his word. They'd be able to obey his word. From a willing heart. From a willing heart. The spirit changes our heart. And He gives us the capacity to respond to wisdom, which is Christ. We're also in that when He gives us His Spirit, are given the capacity to understand the Word of God. This is why sometimes when you show the Word of God and you're trying to teach an unbeliever the Word of God, they're looking at the same thing you are, and you get it, and they don't. It's life to you, and they're just confused about it. But the Spirit of God enables us to know the Word of God because He inspired the Word of God. He gives us insight. He gives us understanding. He gives us instruction from it so that we can receive it, we can believe it, and we can act upon it and obey it. We have that through Christ. It's the Spirit and the Word, right? That's that's wisdom's reward here, wisdom's promise to those who repent and turn and believe. So the question I have for you is, will you listen to wisdom? Will you listen to wisdom if you do that? Well, there's the promise. His Spirit and His Word. Sadly, wisdom is going to be rejected. This is the transition we're going to see here in verses 24 through 31. Rejecting wisdom has dire consequences. Rejecting Christ has dire consequences. There's a window of opportunity. That were shown here. In order to respond to the call. But there's going to come a point. Where it will be too late. It will be too late. Lady Wisdom here. Recounts the record of rejection. From the simple. That she's continually called. Because her call was refused. Because all of her attempts. At reaching the simple was rejected. Because of all of her counsel. That was ignored. And her corrections despised. This is why. She's saying here. There's going to be dire consequences. She tried. She's like, I tried so many times to reach you. I kept calling and calling. The phone kept ringing and ringing. And you refused to answer and pick up the phone. You kept rejecting me over and over again. And now it's too late. Now well, it's too late. This this interlude here, this wisdom interlude, drives home through repetition the reality that for the simple that continues to reject Wisdom here, there's no one else to blame for the consequences that are going to come upon them. No one else to blame for their rejection of wisdom and ultimately the rejection of Christ. This is why the message of wisdom is so urgent. This is why she cries out. This is why her voice thunders above all of the other voices competing and vying for our attention. Because it is a matter of life and death. The simple are heading for a cliff. They're being warned over and over and over and over again. Wisdom's crying out. There's a storm coming. There's a storm on the horizon. A tornado of destruction on its way. A whirlwind of devastation awaits them. Because they've chosen the wrong path. They've chosen this path of gullibility and ignorance and rejection of wisdom. So what does wisdom say here? says here. She says... I'm laughing at them. I'm going to mock them on their day of calamity. When destruction comes upon them, I'm going to have a deep belly laugh at them. Sounds kind of sadistic, doesn't it? You're like, that doesn't sound very nice at all. (laughs) That's not cool. That doesn't sound loving. Ah, but she's justified. God is justified in doing that. Look at Psalm 2. Psalm 2, 1 through 4. Why do the nations rage and and peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. God is completely justified. In the laughing. Why? Think about how foolish what is being said here. The kings and rulers think that they're going to be able to come against the Lord. And not just come against the Lord. They think they're actually going to have victory. That they're going to triumph against the king of the universe. So what does God do? He laughs. He laughs. Why? Because it's absurd. That notion is completely absurd. How foolish the thoughts and actions of man who thinks that they can live autonomously apart from God. That they can cast themselves away from God's accountability and judgment. So he laughs. He laughs at them. He laughs at man's puny ways. And rightly he should. And that's why wisdom's laughing here. She's laughing and mocking the, absurd, the absurdity of choosing folly over Wisdom. Of continuing down a path of folly and rejecting the wisdom of God. She's mocking those who've rejected her and who think that they can escape the judgment that is to come. Now, that, that's absurd and we laugh at absurd things. Imagine you, you go to work today, uh, one day and you work for a large company and there's a a, a young guy who's... He's just graduated from high school, and and he's hired to come clean bathrooms, right, in this large office building. That's the headquarters. And imagine on the first day of his job, he walks in and he goes, hey, I'm the boss. I'm taking over. You all report to me right now. What would you do? You'd laugh your head off. You'd say, what a fool. How absurd to think that. What do you know? You're just a punk. You're supposed to clean the bathrooms. You're not going to be the CEO, Crazy. Imagine the absurdity of a man running towards a a freight train, barreling down the tracks, and thinking that at the moment of impact, he's going to come out of that triumphant. It's the same thing here. So why would we give humanity a pass, anyone a pass, uh, who rejects the counsel of God, the wisdom of God, who rejects Jesus Christ, who thumbs their nose up at at God, and gives the middle finger to God, and think that on the other side of this, they're going to be victorious. It's absurd. There's so a wisdom here is just like you're joking, right? You're crazy, you're crazy, and she mocks them. She mocks them. Those who rejected her are going to deserve exactly what's coming to them. Those who reject Jesus Christ are going to get exactly what is coming to them. No one is in hell who did not want to be there. No one. This is why we have to listen to the good news. This is why we have to respond by repenting and turning in faith to Jesus Christ. This is why we have to flee the coming storm and find shelter in Jesus Christ. Why? Because today is the day of salvation. It's today. It is not something to put off, it is not something to delay, it is not a call to ignore. There is a final judgment. And there is going to be a point of no return. And that's at the point of death. When you pass from this this life to the next, there's no second chance. There is no more time for repentance. There's no more time for turning to the Lord. So don't ignore the warnings. The wages of sin we know is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We have this exhortation from the writer of Hebrews. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, today, if you hear his voice, you hear that? If you hear his cry, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't do that. The Lord is calling. Answer while that opportunity is available to you. Flee to Christ and escape the wrath and the calamity to come. Verse 28 through 31 here reveal That reality of no second chances for those who refuse wisdom. That the continual rejection uh, will eventually catch up with them. Now sometimes it doesn't happen in this life. Or we don't see that in this life. But it will catch up with them in the next. And then it will be too late. Won't be able to call out. You'll call the number and it will be disconnected. Just like... The scoffer here, the fool and the simple who rejects wisdom, hung up on wisdom every time she called, called her. Their whole life they're doing that. At that moment, wisdom won't take their call. Verse 28, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. What's going on there? You're like, wait a minute. They're seeking her diligently. They're calling out to wisdom. No, it's too late. It's too late. Once you pass from this life, it's too late. They're trying, to, they're trying to call upon wisdom on their own terms, on their own timetable. But they failed to respond when wisdom was calling. There's no second chances after death. Wisdom must be responded to. The message of Christ must be responded to before it's too late. If you deny Christ... In this life, he will deny you in the next. If you reject Christ in this life, he will reject you in the next. This is what he says in Matthew 10.33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my fathers in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Hear the message here of the Father to the Son through this, this wisdom poetry, this wisdom interlude. Speaking to us of Christ and, and the offer of life and salvation that he makes to us. That we're to respond at the time of his calling, of his choosing. Throughout this life, that message is going forth. That we're not to suppress it. We're not to hold it down. We're to respond to it. We're to trust Christ. She says, here's why she doesn't respond when they're calling. Not only is it too late, Right? But she says in 29, 31, they hated knowledge, didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They'd have none of her counsel. They despised her reproof. So they're going to eat now the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices. They chose to not have the fear of the Lord, to have a relationship with the Lord. They hated wisdom, they hated knowledge. And the consequence of that is that they're going to get exactly what they deserve. A life lived apart from the knowledge of God will inevitably lead to one's own destruction. A refusal to accept and follow Christ will wreck and ruin your life. Now, you might think, "Well, life's pretty great right now and I'm not really following Christ." I mean, I go to church, I, you know, try to do good things and but I, I like my sin and stuff, and nothing really bad's happening tomorrow. I had some relative success in life. Things are kind of going, you know, pretty good right now. Everything's kind of going well. But you'll eventually reap what you sow. Maybe not completely in this life, but certainly and assuredly in the next. The root of your life will determine the fruit of your life. If the root is Christ, the fruit of your life is going to lead to eternal life. But if your root is not Christ, the fruit you eat will be to eternal damnation. Look what wisdom says here. She's going to have an eye for eye retribution here. Because they didn't listen to her, she's not going to listen to them. Because they didn't seek her when she called, she's not going to let herself be found when they call. And because they didn't respond to her in the time of salvation, she will not respond to them in the time of her judgment. It's frightening. It's a matter of life and death. Look at this warning in Romans 2, 4 and 5. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be Revealed. It's the kindness, brothers and sisters, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I implore you, don't reject the kindness of God. Don't reject the kindness of God. Don't presume upon His patience. Don't harden your heart and to respond to Him before it is too late. There's a reward for wisdom in these last couple of verses something that gives us a ray of hope and a ray of light in all of that in all of that 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 hard message and sermon of wisdom there verse 32 and 33 because this is this is in essence the moral of the story right it, this is the proverb embedded in this wisdom interlude for the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them and here's the turn but whoever listens to me will dwell secure And will be at ease without dread of disaster. You may have heard this particular account, most likely, in urban legend and a made-up story, but it goes something like this. There was a Navy battleship who was, who, who was traversing rough seas. It was really foggy out. Uh, visibility was near zero, and as they're moving along at a steady clip here, their radar pings. There is an object dead ahead, and they find themselves on a collision course. So the ship's captain grabs the radio and relays a message saying, We are on a collision course. Advise you to change course 10 degrees north. Wait a moment. The radio crackles and the reply comes through negative. We advise you to change course 10 degrees south. Now the captain's kind of ticked off here at the moment. Picks up the radio again, bellows the reply I'm a ship's captain. Change course 10 degrees north now. The reply I'm a seaman second class. Advise you change course. 10 degrees south to avoid imminent collision. Well, the, the captain is furious. Like, how, how dare this peon, right, who's, who's, who's below his rank, ignore a direct command. So, again, grabs the radio. This is a battleship. Change a course immediately. A few seconds pass. Radio crackles again. And the reply on the other end is very calm. This is a lighthouse. Your call. And the battleship changes course. All of our lives are in a collision course with imminent judgment. We want to plot our own course. We want to chart our own direction in life. And that direction and that path is usually going to be away from God, apart from the knowledge of God, and apart from the fear of the Lord. That's what we're going to do. We're going to follow our sinful pleasures. Consequently, we all deserve the wrath of God. We're all under the wrath of God. And the gospel call goes out for us and says, turn from the way you're headed. Turn, because you're facing imminent danger. Turn, you're heading on a collision course for judgment. Turn from your waywardness. Turn from your stubbornness. Turn from your wickedness. Turn from your self-seeking and sinfulness and turn to Christ. It's the only way to avert disaster. Disaster. Well, the wise person, what are they going to do? They're going to respond and they're going to change course, right? They're going to turn to Christ. That's wisdom. Wisdom is knowing that you're headed to shipwreck your life upon the rock of judgment and you change course. That's what we should do. Because if we don't, if we don't, we're on a collision course with God's wrath and you don't stand a chance in that encounter. No one does. No one does. Well, here The simple who reject the call, they remain in their waywardness. They remain in their gullibility. And that, that'll kill them. They're killed because of that. Because of that rejection of wisdom. The fool not only rejects the call, they won't change course. They might full well know they're heading towards the rocks. And they think that upon that encounter with the rock, they will win. And no one can tell them otherwise. And then when they shipwreck their life, they give God the middle finger and they curse him all the way on the day of judgment. That's not wisdom. But here's the good news, right? But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That is the reward for those who listen to wisdom's call. Those who respond to the gospel, they will live securely and won't have any fear of danger that means no fear of judgment we don't have to worry about that day if we turn to christ if we repent and believe upon him and the good news that he offers to us we don't have a care in this world or a worry on the day of judgment we are safe and secure in him we are at ease we are at ease There's no fear of calamity in life because we've heeded Lady Wisdom's call and embraced her teaching. Isn't that good news? See, there's going to be calamity in life. There's going to be hurricanes in life. But there's no fear. Those who have built their house upon the rock, it doesn't matter of the raging seas and the storms that come. Our foundation is Christ will not be shaken, will not be moved. And on the day, we will not be put to shame. On that day we will not have fear. We don't fear the wrath of God because that has come upon Christ in our place. And we are sons and daughters of God. Our house stands because our foundation is Christ. The psalmist says in 18 to Psalm 18.2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my Stronghold. Psalm 17 declares, Of whom shall I be afraid? What shall I be afraid of? If I have Christ and I am in Him, then I am safe and secure. And I am at ease. Will you hear the call of wisdom? Today is the day to respond. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to answer the call. Do not despise the Lord's wisdom, which is Christ. Repent. And believe Jesus and he will save you from the wrath to come. And you will have nothing at all to fear on the day of judgment.